just going to clear a spot and have a spell. Amen. Man, it's so good to see you all this morning. Would you turn to Ezra chapter 7? Ezra chapter 7. As we think about the topic this morning, are you connected with the Lord? Is the hand of God on you? Ezra chapter 7. I heard about a Sunday school teacher that was trying to teach the Ten Commandments to her young students. And she thought maybe it would help them to do some concrete illustrations. So she got the class together and she said one morning Johnny's parents uh, were going shopping. And they asked Johnny to wash the dishes and clean up the kitchen while they were gone. When they got back, he was still watching cartoons, the dishes were unwashed. And she said, what commandment did he violate? They all in unison said, honor your father and your mother. She said, correct, that's good. She said, little Ann went shopping with her mother, but when no one was looking, she slipped a candy bar into her pocket. What uh, commandment did she violate? And they all in unison said, thou shalt not steal. That's good. And then she said, Andy was a mean little boy, had a bad temper. He got angry with his sister one day and grabbed her cat, threatened to pull its tail off. What commandment did she violate? Nobody said nothing. Finally, the little boy said, what God had joined together, let no man put asunder. <laughs> we, uh, <laughs> that's how many of us are today. We're, we, we know just enough about the Bible not to be lost, but that's about where it ends. We're content to not know very much, but we're satisfied as long as we're not lost. In Ezra chapter 7, beautiful chapter on how to be connected to God. The hand of God. Stand with me, please. Chapter 7, verse 1. And you read these first five verses any way you want to read them. I'll read them in East Texas vernacular. <laughs> now, after these things, in the reign of Artaxerxes, king of Persia, Ezra, the son of Sariah, the son of Azariah, the son of Hilkiah, the son of Shalom, the son of Zadok, and the son of Ahitub, the son of Amariah, the son of Azariah, and the son of Meroah, and the son of Zerahiah, and the son of Uzziah, and the son of Bukai, the son of Abishelah, the son of Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the chief priest. Hallelujah. Say amen. amen. This Ezra went up from Babylon, and he was a ready scribe in the law of Moses, which the Lord God of Israel had given. And the king granted him all his requests according to the hand of the Lord his God upon him. And there went up some of the children of Israel and of the priests and the Levites and the singers and the porters and the Nethams and to Jerusalem in the seventh year of Artaxerxes the king. And he came to Jerusalem in the fifth month, which was the seventh year of the king. For upon the first day of the month began he to go up from Babylon. And on the first day of the fifth month came he to Jerusalem according to the good hand of his God upon him. For Ezra had prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach in Israel statutes and judgments. Father, I ask you this morning, add your blessing to the reading of your holy inspired word. God, may, it, may we not leave here the same way we came in. Speak to us, Lord Jesus. We need you, Lord Jesus, more today than we've ever needed you before. God, don't let us escape. Don't let the devil have any say in this service. You have your way 
in every life, in every heart that's in this place today. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. We don't seem to know a whole lot about praying. Uh, we don't seem to know a lot about what the Bible really says. Uh, we don't seem to know sometimes about our mission for God. But when somebody says, what about soul winning? We'll say, well, we don't know much about soul winning, but bless God, we know we're saved. And we know we're saved. We ought to know more. Fanny Crosby wrote that old hymn, Blessed Assurance, Jesus is Mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. That's a wonderful old hymn. But listen, we ought to want to know more about the Lord than what we know. We, we don't need to be like Paul said, some folk are going to come in as by fire. We don't need to be smelling smoke when we come inside the gates of heaven. Ezra, the hand of God was upon him. They were connected. The question this morning, are you connected to the Lord Jesus Christ? Is he connected to you? Ezra was born in captivity. He wasn't in uh, Jerusalem when Babylon came and sieged the city, but he came back. Uh, they came back, and Ezra was born sometime later in captivity in Babylon. He essentially was a slave, but he rose to prominence just like Daniel rose to prominence, just like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego rose to prominence there. Uh, and then the nation Israel, the temple had been rebuilt. Everything was going good. Time, some 60 years, has passed. And just like us today, as well as the nation Israel, they begin to backslide. They begin to get complacent. They begin to move backward. I learned a long time ago, you can put a car in neutral. It don't live. It, it can idle. But you can't put a church in neutral. You're either going forward for the glory of God or you're going backwards, one of the two. Forward, backwards. And so... They had begun to backslide. Remember the whole theme of Ezra is God is more interested in building people than he is in building buildings. Buildings are important, but people are more important. So his heart is, is broken. Uh, uh, he comes to the king, <laughs> the most powerful king in the world. And he said, look, I want you to set me free. And the king says, yes. The king says, I'll set you free. And you can take some captives with you, but I'll not only just do that, I'll issue an emancipation proclamation. You're free. And then I'm going to give you money and gold and silver. And then when you get where you're going, if someone opposes you, you have the authority to punish them and keep them in line. And if you can't keep them in line, then you have the authority to kill them. Now, how in the world does a slave in a foreign country come up with a set of orders like he did? Well, you'll find it in verse 6 at the very last of the verse. According to the hand of the Lord his God upon him. <laughs> he didn't have anything to do with it. It was according to the hand of the Lord his God who was on him there. I, no matter what, I think Ezra is saying, no matter what's going on in your life, you can make it if you've got God on your life. Four solid months, 1,000 miles between Babylon where he was and Jerusalem where he was headed. It was a difficult passageway through there. There were thieves, there were robbers, there were vagabonds, there were murderers. There, there's no army escort. He's got gold, he's got silver, there's unlimited amount of money. 
and yet he made it fine in four months. How, how in the world does that happen? Man, you can't go down here to Kroger and somebody don't knock you in the head. And this guy's traveled a thousand miles in, in four months. How does he do it? Well, verse 9 tells you how he did it right at the end of the verse. According to the good hand of his God upon him. <laughs> wow. And then if you look down in verse 28, it's kind of Ezra's deathbed there. And he tells them all he's accomplished is for because of one reason. He said, and hath extended mercy unto me before the king and his counselors and before all the king's mighty princes. And I was strengthened as the hand of the Lord my God was upon me. And I gathered together out of Israel chief men to go up. I think Ezra is saying, look, it doesn't matter what you're going through. Many of you are going through many things. But listen, if the hand of God is on your life, if you're connected to God, you're going to get through. You're going to make it to the other side. John 10, 28 tells us that we as a people of God are in the hands of God and no man's able to pluck them out of his hands. Isaiah 49, 16 says, Behold, I've graven thee upon the palms of my hands. Jabez prayed in 2 Chronicles that the hand of God would be upon him. With Ezekiel, in Ezekiel chapter 1, verse 3, the word of the Lord came expressly unto Ezekiel the priest, the son of Buzi in the land of the Chaldeans, by the river Chebar, and the hand of the Lord was there upon him. When you go down to Ezekiel chapter 37, and he's going in that valley of all the dry bones, you're going to find out that the hand of the Lord was on him. You say, preacher, isn't being saved enough? No, it's not enough. Hey, I'm thankful you're saved this morning. Maybe you're here this morning and you're not saved. You need to be saved today. Before this day's over with, you need to be saved. But just because you're saved, listen, that's not enough. We need the hand of God on us. 2020 has been a, a horrific year. I was walking my dog yesterday, Roger. And he's had a rough year too. And I, I told him, I can't explain all of it. I'm telling you, I said, Roger, it's been tough. It's been a tough winter. But the sun was shining. I said, bless God, spring's coming. It's been a tough year, but I'm telling you, we need the hand of God on us now more than ever before. In the days ahead, there are going to be some of you sitting in this auditorium here that you're not going to come back to this church. You're going to say, I've had a belly full of hearing uh, dogmatic preaching on the word of God. I'm not going to sit here and put up with all that mess. Some of you are going to be gone. You're going to leave. And, and I'm, I'll pray for you wherever you go. We need the hand of God on us to become, once again, the soul-winning, fire-dedicated, uh, uh, consecrated church for the Lord Jesus Christ. We need the hand of God to guide us and encourage us so that we can strengthen marriages and strengthen families that will stand for God and not compromise the Word of God. We need the hand of God to show us how to have wisdom, to love and, and be compassionate, yet in the same way say, we're not backing down from the Word of God. We're not going to compromise the Word of God. We need the hand of God that created the heavens and the earth, the hand of God that slung the stars and moon into space, the hand of God that created man in his own image out of the dust of the earth. I need that hand. You need that hand. 
that hand that touched blinded eyes and caused them to see, the hand that touched deaf ears and caused them to hear, the hand that touches tongues and makes them speak, that's the hand we need today. We need the hand that multiplied the fish and the loaves and fed thousands of people. We need the hand that stretched out on a Roman cross and pierced for my sin and your sin. That's the hand we need today. How do we get connected? How do we have the hand of God on us? Because that's what we need. That's what we need. Well, I'm glad you asked. Otherwise, I wouldn't have a sermon. Look at verse 10. For Ezra had prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach in Israel statutes and judgments. How do we get connected? Well, verse 10 begins with the word for. To get connected is going to involve a life of getting into the word of God of studying the Word of God. Psalm 119, 11, Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. Psalm 119, 105, Thy words are lamp unto my feet and light unto my path. Psalm 119, 24, Thy testimonies also are my delight and my counselors. 2 Timothy 3, 16, All scriptures given by inspiration of God is profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, for instruction in righteousness. You will never accomplish the will of God until first of all you get the hand of God on you and you'll never get the hand of God God on you until you get into the Word of God. He set his heart to study the law of the Lord. Now there's a preparation. He says in verse 10, Ezra, the King James says, he's prepared his heart. It's the same word as uh, some of your translations say he set his heart. Some of your translations say he established his heart. It's, it, what he's saying is he's making a decision in advance. He's going to decide right now today, I'm going to set my heart on the Word of God. I'm going to get in the Word of God. I, you, you set a foundation. Who goes out there and says, well, praise God, we got the foundation. That's all we ever wanted was a good foundation. No. You build a foundation so you can build something on top of it. That's why the foundation is there. We've seen a lot of foundations going around here in the last 17 years. <laughs> There's one more we need. <gasps> I've been praying for another foundation. We're not going to borrow any more money to get it. Don't get your pants in a wad. I'm just saying... There's one other building we need on this property that we use more than any building we've ever used in this church's history. And what we call the cage. We built the cage out here. And uh, we needed a place to worship because we tore the auditorium down here to build this one. And so we enclosed the cage. And so our kids had nowhere to play, nowhere to have activities. Adults played volleyball there. It's the most used building we had. Didn't have no air conditioning. If you can't sweat playing volleyball, you ain't got no business playing volleyball. I mean, there, there's something. You need air conditioning in some places, but there's some. It's an outdoor cage. And so then when we tore this building down inside, we built this building first and then tore the building down inside. We moved it over and built a second cage. And everything was great. And then we closed it in to make a youth building. And so the number one building that we use more than anything here on children's activities, youth activities, college activities, young adult activities, we can even do line dancing out there for the old folk out there. 
we need a cage. We need a cage. Ain't nothing but a steel frame with a roof on it and chain link fence around it. We, I'm praying for that. You say, preacher, we're in a building program trying to pay off, and you've done a marvelous job. You, our, our debt on this children's building is down to $769,000 this month. I mean, that's from $2.5 million. Y'all have done a marvelous job. And, I, and I'll be honest with you, I'm looking for some of you new people to come in. Some of these old people are already fed up with me. They've about had all the money raised and all the foundations they're going to have. So I'm praying God sent us somebody. Got $100,000, $150,000. We can finish everything out and move on. I'm looking for a new foundation. It's also the words used by coaches. The Olympics or athletic coaches. You see, you set yourself in January and February because you want to do something in April and May. But you already know in January and February what you've got to do in order to be able to do what you want to do in, in, February, in uh, April and May. It's the same word that military people tr use as a sword, the spear, and the shield. You learn how to use them so that when you go off to war, you'll know how to use them. It's the same word that farmers use in preparing the fields. And I would just say, this is a good time to plant your potatoes. I love good potatoes. So it's a good time to plant them right along now, okay? And you plant them now so that we can eat them in a couple of months. See, you say, what Ezra is saying here, I have made up my mind. I'm going to study the Word of God. I'm going to study the Word of God. He made up his mind. Joshua made up his mind. He said, it's for me and my house. We're going to serve the Lord. Y'all do whatever you want to do, but it's for me and my house. We're going to serve the Lord. Jacob made up his mind in Genesis 35 under an old oak grove over there in Shechem. He said, you guys, all my family, you bring all the idols and all the false things you've been worshiping. We're going to burn them up. We're going, as for what, we're going to worship God. He made up his mind in advance. You see, we fail in the battle of life because we've not made up our minds on how we're going to live. There are issues in life. If you wait to decide, you're going to end up losing. Young people, college kids, you want to be sexually pure? The time to make up your mind is now, not in the backseat of a car on Friday night. Somebody thinking about being a wine-bibbing alcoholic, the time to make up your mind is now. Not at a cowboy game when they've blown another one and your friends say, let's go get drunk. That ain't the time to make up your mind. And it's not the time to be making up your mind to study the Word of God when the alarm goes off and you hit the snooze button. You've got to have already made up your mind. I'm going to set myself. I'm going to study the Word of God. Ezra made a decision in advance. I'm going to be a student of the Word of God. Then he also leads them to admit their sins or confess their sins. Now, chapters 9, we'll get to that later on. They had intermarried. They had backslidden. Now, I want to hasten to tell you that had nothing to do with race whatsoever. There'll be some crackpots that'll tell you that, but they're wrong. It has everything to do with being unequally yoked. Young people, young girls, let me tell you, you're looking at a specimen right here. <laughs> 55 years ago, I could have met with any of these. I'm just telling you right now, what you better be looking for is a young man who loves God with all of his heart. 
is a young man who knows he's been bought by the blood of Jesus. Because that's going to be more important in your life ahead than what he looks like. Those looks are going to fade. And God love you, those of you who've got tattoos on different places of your body, when that thing shrivels up, man, that rose is going to turn into something that don't look like a rose. Be careful. Be careful. They openly admitted their sins. Uh, Amos 3.3 says, can two walk together except they be agreed? It didn't matter. It didn't matter to Ezra that they had been in disobedience for 60 years, 60 years. It didn't matter that the leaders were living in disobedience and people were saying, look, everybody else is doing it. Even the leaders are doing it there. It didn't matter what the culture said. It didn't matter what the assembly was approving. It didn't matter what the priests and the Levites were teaching. Ezra said, all that matters is we get in this word and we confess our sin. That's what matters. Our brethren in the United Methodist Church are about to split again. And uh, they they were going to have a meeting last year, but COVID put it off. They were going to have it this year, so they put it off again. But there's a group, they're going to split, they're going to vote. Uh, there's a group in the United Methodist Church that wants to ordain homosexuals and have them as pastors and all of that. And then there's another group. And actually, the real truth is, in the United Methodist, it's almost like the Southern Baptist. Our, our group over here had gotten so liberal in America, but there's more United Methodists across the world than there are in America. And so they're going to vote to be conservative. But the Methodist Church in America, it, and most of those are going to be uh, they're going to follow suit. They're going to ordain homosexuals and they're going to enter them in and everything's all right. I think what Ezra is telling us, and I'll be honest with you, let me just shoot straight with you. When you come to the time where you've got to vote whether this is the word of God or not, you already lost. You've already lost it. I think Ezra is trying to tell us, if you want a preacher, if you want a Sunday school teacher, if you want a church that's going to soft soap sin and going to whitewash sin, and going to compromise the word of God, they're a dime a dozen. They're all around us. But now you listen. The hand of God's never going to rest on that person. The hand of God's never going to rest on that family. The hand of God's never going to rest on that church unless they openly admit their sin before God. It, it, and that's never going to happen unless there's a pastor in the pulpit preaching the word of God. It's never going to happen unless there are Sunday school teachers in these classes teaching the Word of God. Unless there are children's workers and youth workers and college workers. Unless there are faithful daddies and faithful mamas that are teaching their children the Word of God. Mm -hmm. Somebody got to be teaching these kids the truth. Because I'm telling you, they come home, they don't know the truth. I'm going to get in trouble here. But, but I want to tell you, I, I, I think the greatest generation to ever live was the generation that fought World War II. Came back and built America. But I'll be honest with you, I, I've been bitter toward that generation. I'm just shooting straight with you. Because if some of y'all in 1962 would have stood up to the Supreme Court and said, we ain't throwing the Bible out of school, what are y'all crazy? The hand of the Lord was on America because America trusted God. Because America submitted to God. And I've heard all of this. Now, I've got a changed attitude now. I love you. (laughs) Because I've figured out how slick the devil is. 
He did the same thing to my generation. If you'll just let these homosexuals and lesbians, they, they, just, they just want to be left alone. They just want to be left alone. Ten years later, no, they've got rights too. And now they've got more rights than you got. I, I don't go anywhere very much that people don't say, Preacher, what do you think about these transgenders? I think it's the greatest thing that's ever happened to the church. Because I'm praying that some daddies are going to stand up and say, my little girl ain't, pray, ain't playing out there on the field with them. I mean, oh, we're already playing Saturdays, Sundays. Now, bless God, I did not know this, but I did not know they had a special league for T-ballers, a select group. Give me a break. <laughs> Give me a break. I mean, you know, are you going to let your daughter play with some old boy that says he's a girl? Uh, you ain't going to change that because the Supreme Court's going to rule on it and you're not going to change that. What it's going to do is it's going to bring the church back in where we can fellowship ourselves together. And, and I don't know if this Equality Act passes. We're not even going to be able to do that. We'll all be in jail. I was with preachers this week and we were talking about didn't know whether we could lay in an intensive care unit with ventilators and all of this after all we've seen this year and people passing away and not knowing their family was there and I mean it's just been a horrific year and I said guys I don't think that's going to be our problem I think what our problem is going to be is can we stand to be in an 8 by 8 cell because when you preach the word of God and it's declared that you're doing a hate crime they're going, and I know y'all love me, and I know, just, I'm with you, preacher. You're lying. You're not going to be with me. <laughs> I'm going to be the one down there in the jail, and you're going to be the ones praying to let him loose, and it'd be just like the, uh, with the New Testament. Uh, I'll knock on the door, and somebody say, it can't be him. He's in jail. God's still got that authority, and he's still got that power. Proverbs 28, 13 says, He that covereth his sins shall not prosper. But whosoever confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy. When was the last time you just got with God and just wept because of the Jesus that you claim you love so much? You just blasphemed or just acted like he wasn't there or totally went against him. We're all kind of like Paul, where Paul said, I find myself the things I know I need to be doing, I don't do. And the things I know I don't need to be doing, I end up doing. And then he says, oh, wretched man that I am. Oh, wretched man that I am. Don't, don't ever pray for, for justice with God. Go ahead and admit up front, I'm a sinner. Well, it's a life of getting in the Word of God. But secondly, it's a life of submitting. You see, it involves more than what we just say. Ezra prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord, and then he says, and to do it. Confession says, I messed up, and that's good. Admittance says, I messed up, and that's good. I know I messed up, and then I love this one. I know I messed up. I know what I'm doing is wrong, preacher, but. Now, when you hear that but in there, that means he ain't going to change nothing. I know what I'm doing is wrong, but I'm not going to change my life. 
I'm not going to change anything. See, that's a far cry from holiness and submitting. Admission or confession says I did it. Contrition says I did it and I'm sorry for it. But that's still not enough to get with God. There's got to be a change. These people said what we did was wrong. We're sorry for it. We confess it, and we're going to turn from it. We're going to turn around from it. That's getting the hand of God on us when we turn from it there. It's a life of getting in the Word of God. It's a life of submitting. i got to hurry. It's a life of sharing. That's what he says. It's just right here in the verse. Number one, he prepared his heart to seek the law. Number two, he was going to do it. And number three, he's going to teach it. He's going to teach it. The word for is in the beginning of verse 10. That simply means I'm going to discern it with my heart and I'm going to demonstrate it with my life. And for that, I'm going to share it with others. He's going to share it with conviction. Dr. Johnny Hunt's always been one of my favorite preachers. He went to Woodstock First Baptist Church 20-something, almost 30 years ago. He preached here in January, if you got to hear him, and uh, went there. That church ran about 300, I, I think probably now eight or 9,000 there. And uh, he's moved on now. He, he resigned there and is working for the North American Mission Board. And we were having coffee and cutting up, drinking coffee and just sharing some things. And he was sharing with me. They gave him this giant reception and all of this stuff. And he said at the reception, this guy came by and shook hands with him and said, this is uh, going to be the last time I come. And Dr. Hunt said, you know, well, you know, the next pastor, and he is a good preacher. This new pastor is as good as Johnny is. And, and he said, why? And he said, well, I'm an atheist. I don't believe in anything you've said. And, you know, I, I would think then I'd have to look at that guy and say, you've been coming to this church six months. You don't believe any of that. You're an atheist. Who ties your shoes every morning? I mean, my soul, he's more faithful than most faithful people are. Dr. Hunt asked him, why in the world have you come six months when you don't believe? And he said this, I've enjoyed watching what you believe. Hmm. I, I thought, hey, when's the last time somebody knew you were so convicted that they enjoyed watching what you believe. Can anybody say that about you? I mean, you're so on fire for Jesus. The fruits of the Spirit in Galatians 5, they're just overflowing with you. The love, the joy, the peace, the long-suffering, the gentleness, the meekness, the faith, the temperance. It's just, people say, he's about half crazy. He's a flake. But I enjoy watching what he believes. He believes it. He believes it. I believe with all my heart that the greatest obstacle we're going to face in the next few years is John 14, 6. The Pope is in Babylon this morning meeting with leaders of how we can all compromise together and all roads lead to heaven. And when you start saying, Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. 
No man comes to the Father but by me. You're going to hack people off. We're doing evangelism initiative. You can get in on the ground floor again today at 5 o'clock in the chapel. But until, as we learned last week, until you determine that there is only one way to go to heaven, you're never going to be effective in evangelism. See, we'll sit here and say that. We know what the Bible says. But deep in our hearts, the people we work with, we say, I don't want to get in an argument with them. I know what you do. I know you got your way. Blah, 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 blah. No, there's only one way. There's only one way. He shared it with conviction. Then let me close. He shared it with character. (laughs) He lived what he preached. Mm. In evangelism initiative, we're going to learn today some of the transitional statements you can do to kind of get people involved in soul winning. Uh, If you were to die today and you were standing in front of God, what would you say? If God said, why should I let you into my heaven? What would you say? And when people start saying, well, I've been a good person, I've tried to help people, I've done all, you know they're lost. There's only one answer to that question, is I've been covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. That's it. That's the only answer to it. And so that's one of the transitions. And sometimes we, we want to give someone a track, say, would you take this track and, and could, or could I ask you a spiritual question about your life? And if they say yes, then you ask them. If they say no, then you say, well, God bless you, go on. But could I submit to you this morning that maybe the best way to start an evangelistic conversation with someone you know might not be with a track, and it might not be with a transitional statement. It might be with an apology. You got a daddy and mama that's lost. Maybe you could go up and say, you know what? I just want you all to know I apologize. I've not been the person of God I ought to be towards y'all, and I'm sorry. It may be that you've got some children that they don't want nothing to do with you, or some grandchildren, and it may be that the first thing you need to do is say, look, I just want you to know up front, I've not done what I ought to do for the glory of God. I've not lived like I ought to live, and I want to apologize to you. My Jesus is real. And I'm admitting today I'm a sinner. And more than anything in this world, I want my family to be saved. I want my family to be saved. I don't know how much time I've got left, but as a dad, as a husband, as a pastor, as a grandfather, as a brother, Maybe even a great-great-grandfather. These kids are growing up so fast right now. I've got one 14 going on 22 right now. I mean, she could be married next week. I don't know. I may be a great-grandfather. But I want to be known as a man who had the hand of God on him. I want this church to be known as a church that has the hand of God on them. I looked up some epitaphs. Some tombstones. We've been in cemeteries three times this week. I'm going to tell you, precious people. Mary Smizer, Vernon Mosley, Billy Nelson. Solid, God-loving Christians that love the Lord. 
faithful to this church. I was looking up some epitaphs on some tombstones. One of them for an accident victim died in a car crash. said, here lies the body of Johnny Blake. He stepped on the gas instead of the brake. There was a man who died of a gunfight and said, here's Jimmy Paul. We buried him raw. He was fast with the trigger but slow on the draw. And then I think my favorite one was the one of the hypochondriac. I told you all I was sick. <laughs> I, I don't know when death's going to come for any of us, but I do know this. You could have a lot worse said about you than the hand of God was on him or the hand of God was on her. And that happens when we decide that we're going to set aside a time to get into the Word of God. And we're not only going to get in the Word of God and admit our sin to God, we're also going to live it. We're going to live it. And then we're going to teach it to our grandchildren and our children and those around us, our neighbors. Man, I remember growing up, we, we had old people that lived all up and down the road. I remember the Neils there. I remember the foxes that lived just down about three houses down, lived in a little old house. They would sit out in the front yard under the tree, and all of us would ride our bicycles down there just to hear him tell stories. And he would always share something about the Lord. Man, we've lost a lot of that. We've we, we got to get back. We've got to get back making God more important than anything else. God's speaking to your heart. You've never been saved. Today, you need to admit you're a sinner. You can't save yourself. I got news for you. <laughs> wouldn't it have been kind of, I don't want to make derogatory, wouldn't it have not been the express interest of a holy God to send a son to die on a cross when there would have been another way to be saved? I'm telling you, it's Jesus or it's nothing. It's Jesus or nothing. And this morning, you can admit you're a sinner and ask him to come into your heart. And the Bible says, whosoever calleth upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. I'm preaching to a lot more people this morning, though, even on live stream and right here. You know you're saved. But the truth is, you've become complacent. There was a time when you used to sit in front of the fireplace and open that precious word and read that word. But now, you're just watching reruns of Andy Griffin and the Golden Girls. And you're just happy as you can be. Oh, how we need to come back to Jesus. Maybe you need a church home. I'm going to tell you, if you come to this church home, I, I, I made a commitment years ago to do two things. Brother Malcolm Ellis taught me that. I'm here to comfort the afflicted, and I'm here to afflict the comforted. I'm telling you, we're moving on. We ain't going back. We're moving on. Pray with me. God, thank you this morning for the joy to be in your house, to praise the name of Jesus. Lord, thank you for all you've done for us. Thank you for the spirit that's in this place today. God, I'm asking you, Lord Jesus, would you have your way in hearts today? Father, would you speak to those that need you more than anything else? God, thank you for what you're going to do in these next few moments. We love you and praise you in Jesus' name. Would you stand?